0: for every group of people who are obsessed with british you know political dramas david fincher and kevin spacey there are also people who like farts vague racism and adam sandler acting like he's 20 in his 50s
1: yeah so anyway too harsh okay (laughs) it's
2: totally true so true What is up my friends welcome back to another episode of the co-working weekly show as always i'm your host alex hillman and today we're going to be exploring the world of improv comedy theater and what in the world could that possibly have to do with co-working? Well, it's quite a bit, you might find. Because our friend Greg Mon, who's the founder of Philly Improv Theater, right here in my own hometown, joined Sam for a conversation about some of the things that he's learned about starting bootstrapping a comedy theater and how he thinks about his comedy theater and, more importantly, his comedy theater community – Sounds a whole lot like co-working to me. This is a really fascinating interview. Greg came in, and not only is he entertaining and super smart, he drops some major, major knowledge bombs that I think are going to blow your mind and really help you think about the value of the community that you build. They're not just people to put butts in seats. And maybe most amazingly, the elements of scaling community and what that means in the context of a comedy theater also has a whole lot to do with how we do things in our co-working spaces. So this is a tremendous episode. I'm super excited, and Greg is also one of our speakers for the People at Work Summit coming up on April 21st. If you haven't gotten your tickets yet, after listening to this episode, I'm pretty sure you're going to want to. So let's get right into the episode. Enjoy this interview with Sam Abrams and Greg mon
1: So I, I asked you here because there's... A lot of connection between co working and, and improv. And I mean, first, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah,
0: sure. I'm Greg Maughan, and I'm the founder and owner of the Philly Improv Theater.
1: And uh, I'm Sam. You guys have met me. I've been taking improv classes at the Philly Improv Theater for two years and get to do lots of fun improv and other fun things there.
0: Is it only two years?
1: It's only two years.
0: That's incredible.
1: Um, but thank you. Uh, and well, I did lots of theater stuff before that, but improv for me, is a lot more fun.
0: Never mind. You're, you're not the prodigy I thought you were then.
1: Um, I'm going to still take the compliment and ignore that last part. Okay. That's how interviewing works. So I know that even before I started working at Indie Hall, you had started to talk to Alex and Adam a little bit. Um, and actually, improv is how I found my job at Indie Hall because there's a connecting person named Neil who knows every single person in Philadelphia. And when I was looking for a job... And he is on my improv team, I should have mentioned. So when I was looking for a job, he connected me here. So I know that we've had lots of conversations about mm-hmm. how improv and co-working connect, other than that Neil and I both work at Indy Hall. And I think it's part of why Philly Improv Theater has been successful in Philadelphia is for a couple of very specific Reasons.
0: Oh, I'm so curious because if you <laughs> told them to me, we could we could potentially recreate them <laughs> and become more successful. I
1: mean, so um, when I started improv, I made a whole group of friends. I mm-hmm. found new housemates. Mm-hmm. I found uh, a new job, mm-hmm. and I met my boyfriend. Yep. And the and now I have even more friends and all kinds of great stuff just from having this great community of people that all work on something that they really enjoy doing, whether they're working on improv or sketch or sometimes stand-up. We do yeah. some stand-ups. Yeah.
0: So I think right there in your answer, the word that you hit on, that's the reason that the theater is successful and the connection directly to Community <laughs> Hall is when you said, I found this great community mm-hmm. because that's what we've done. So when I started the theater, I knew that I didn't want to start a stand-up comedy club. I wanted to start a comedy theater and I think when I say that to people, they don't necessarily understand what I really mean a lot of the time. But I think there's a real difference between a theater and a club. So a stand-up club, to me, at least half the time, is someone who's opened a bar and decided that the way they're going to fill that bar is to hire some people to come stand in front of a microphone and tell jokes. And they really don't care who those people are, what kind of jokes they tell, if they're good, as long as their bar is full. And by the way people, when they go to see stand-up, are essentially paying to go into a bar where they're required to purchase two drinks, Yep. which is a brilliant, (laughs) brilliant model for running a bar and disguising it as something else. (laughs) But that's really my feeling about a lot of stand-up clubs, especially those like bad, like Chuckle Hut-type comedy clubs, (laughs) right? Now, Philly is really fortunate in that we have a great top-flight stand-up club, Helium, which is actually right across the street from us. And I think that Helium's reputation, and they've expanded out around the country with a few locations, is really great. They are not just that thing, but also at the end of the day, they are still that thing on some level. They're bringing people from television from out of town. They've got a very limited amount of room for people in town. They have you know about a dozen hosts who are doing just a few minutes at the top and bottom of the show who are local guys. And those guys only get to do a show there a couple times a year for a week. So so Helium has a very different thing. What we have is really a community. So we started not even doing shows. There wasn't a big improv scene in the city. There was a little improv happening here and there. There was a comedy sports that had been around for 10 years, which is a great, very cool show, but it's different from what we were going for. It's it's clean. It's family-friendly. It's kind of corporate, not in a derogatory way. And we wanted to go for something that was a little more punk-rocky a little more creative, and um, a little more chaotic. So we started by teaching people what improv was. We offered classes. And around that, you gradually have people gravitate towards you who are interested in what you're doing, and then you're able to start connecting those people. And so really, when we did a Kickstarter five years ago to come up with the money, uh, six years ago almost now, to come up with the money to look for a permanent space... We said that the name of that project was Create a Home for Alternative Comedy. And we said that we were going to create a hub. And that's what we've done. If you go to the Adrian Theater now, last year there were 60,000 different entrances and exits from that building related to the comedy we were doing. Whether it was people coming and going for class, coming and going for a show, coming and going for a rehearsal. That doesn't mean there are 60,000 discrete individuals. <laughs> no. But there are that many opportunities for people to bump into each other. And if you go into that building, you know, on a Saturday now, all day, I got to the theater at uh, 8.30 or so in the morning last Saturday. Things at the theater finished at 1.30 in the morning. There were a couple dozen people in that building continuously through that time, and people changing over constantly, a couple hundred people coming to see shows, a couple hundred people performing over the course of a full day, which had a kids and teens program, so the youngest people doing improv were four or five years old, up through graduation shows all day, you know, people who are retired, people who've just met, people meeting friends, meeting future housemates, up through performers, people trying to go on to be comedians, potentially moving to New York, Chicago, Los Angeles writing acting whatever they want to do in the industry and that whole broad spectrum that's the thing that makes us successful because there can be a community of you know 400 or so students all the time another 150 200 performers you know sometimes close to a thousand people just audience members uh, over the course of a week going through that building and that's really really cool (laughs)
1: And that's, oh, so much. (laughs) That number, 60,000, is like blowing my mind a little bit. It's blowing Um,
0: my insurance company's (laughs) mind too and and hurting my heart, so yeah.
1: I mean, it definitely connects to co-working in that it is somewhere where you can go and it's this hub of people to hang out with, whether it's just to grab coffee with someone or grab lunch with somebody or collaborate with and that sort of thing. And then something that is also very cool is the trajectory of Fit has been very similar to Indie Hall in that Indie Hall started from essentially a meetup of a couple of people and then became more and more frequent and, and Fit started with what shows once a month.
0: Not even. So, so Fit, if you go back to the very beginning of Fit, Fit started (laughs) from, I was going up to New York going broke, taking classes at the Upright Citizens Brigade, the Magnet Theater, the People's Improv Theater up there. And, uh, thought that a theater would open down here, Philly was the only top 10 market in the country that didn't have an alternative comedy theater. And eventually, I got sick of it. I looked around and saw a couple of people who'd offered one-off improv classes in the city. And I pulled them all into a dinner at a place (laughs) called Sahara Cafe that's still open. Um, And I said, look, I know you all teach occasionally. What if I organized things for you so you could teach more regularly? and if we systematized what we were teaching so you weren't just always kind of introducing people to it. We could actually train and develop performers, and it wouldn't be all on any one of you. It would be a collective responsibility. So it was five people, five people that started. And the first year, we really didn't do shows. I mean, there was a show that was sort of informally a show the theater put on, but it was really a show that an independent comedy group put on. And it was at Fergie's Pub on the second floor. <laughs> and we'd have to wait until an Irish music band would finish. And they often ran late. So we'd be paying people who'd come to the show to drink downstairs to stay until we were able to start the show. you know. But yeah, the first year, I think our total audience in the first year was like 300 people <laughs> for the year. Um, and last year we had uh, 30,000 people. It was our audience last year. Wow. You know?
1: And I think something that is, is great about both of those things is also that, I mean, never in our conversation are we going to talk about how do you get people in the door. I started improv because I, I had a feeling that improv classes would be something I'd like. Yeah. And then um, <laughs> I ran into one of the performers at FIT at our high school reunion, and he doesn't remember this conversation, but he was like, just take this class, it's going to be great. Uh, and I did, and that was, that was it. I was looking for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's nothing you're ever going to have to do to get people to come to the Adrian and hang out because you take a class, you want to keep doing it, you want to keep seeing people, so you just go by on a Wednesday night or on a yeah. Thursday night or Friday night.
0: In, in fact, sometimes I feel bad about that because we're at a point now where, so the Adrian lobby is a public space. Uh, there's some Wi-Fi in that space now. And it's a frequent experience for me any day of the week that I come into the office and some performer or student is already hanging out in the lobby. And at least six months out of the year, I feel really bad because I either say, I'm sorry, you're so hot or I'm sorry, you're so cold. Um, and I know I know people who are part of this community who just come and hang out in the lobby all yep. day, you yeah, know, um, writing graphic <laughs> novels <laughs> Um, writing fanfic, writing sketches. I see people having meetings in our lobby, uh, you know, and I wish that there was coffee we could provide them with or something. And it's it's really incredible, you know, to see that that wasn't something we tried to do. It was just something that happened. And a lot of what we've done as we've grown the theater is recognizing things are happening, and then actually having to go back and figure out why they're happening because we like them and and we want them to happen more. There are other things we've done that have been deliberate, but <laughs> I would not go so far as to say it was most things. You know, Most things that are really cool that have happened at the theater have happened because somebody else took some initiative or had an idea, and once we saw it happening, we tried to help support it.
1: Something else that's very uh, similar and very cool to me is that both at Indy Hall and at Fit, there are lots of people that have lots of ideas to create something. And sometimes it's something as simple as, um, so Fit has a lot of Facebook groups. Yeah. Sometimes it's something as simple as, it's a Friday, I don't want to work anymore. Let's figure out what Hogwarts houses we'd all be in or yeah. something yeah. like that. That was a conversation um, recently. Yes, uh, but sometimes it's something much larger of um, big events or starting shows mm-hmm. that way. And that's how we do things at Indy Hall as well. We're, d- we're planning for a town hall tonight. And one of our big topics is what sort of stuff do you want to see? And what sort of stuff do you want to see that you're going to own, basically? Yeah. So rather than Adam and I organizing every potluck or uh. whiskey night or whatever <laughs> or field trip to somewhere, it's like, okay, well, let's make sure that it's clear on the calendar and that you know what you're doing and go run and be free.
0: Yeah. This is an interesting challenge for us, right? So, um we always want to be supportive of people's ideas, but then there's that challenge of like someone comes and says, you know what you should do. (laughs) And, and a lot of time my response and sometimes it comes off badly is no, that's what you should do. Uh, Because we don't have the resources to do everything. I I think similar to Indy Hall, you know, there are two, three people who are really paid to be here running it. And I'm looking at the two of you (laughs) and Alex is around too, but at Fit, it's, it's a similar situation, you know. I'm the only person who's full-time at the theater. We've got a number of people who are part-time now. Um, but things happen because people have good ideas. We acknowledge that they're good ideas and that we'll support them if they want to run with them. But then people have to run with them,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know. And so the best stuff that's happened at the theater has happened because people have been adamant about something happening. We started off, we were only improv. Then Rob Banowitz and Meg Favreau, who are no longer a, a sketch comedy duo because Meg moved to Los Angeles and is wildly successful there, um, they came to us and said, "We want to do a sketch show, and you're not doing any sketch." And we said, "Okay, yeah, just like let us know what we need to do to be able to do sketch shows." And then look down the road. Now there's a bunch of sketch. People wish there was more sketch. We're trying to make sure there is. Um, you know, people came to us and said, "We have these really wacky, weird, offbeat ideas." we said, well, we're not going to put that up on Saturday night at 8 o'clock. But <laughs> do you want to do this crazy idea you have on Wednesday? Or do you want to do it like late on Friday? And that's how all these variety shows popped up. And now we have all these totally insane, kind of <laughs> weird, offbeat variety shows, which attract these great niche audiences that come in and learn about what else we do and uh, grow the community. And, and also, you know, give a place for people to find their voice as as comedians and to try things and sometimes they're disasters they don't work at all (laughs) but you know what that's one of the great things about improv too right if you do something that doesn't work you do something else and so um we're sometimes slowed down now just by the volume of people coming to us and how quickly we can get back to them but one of the things i'm always trying to do is make sure that we're allowing people uh, to use the programming kind of terms to iterate faster and just go through lots of drafts of ideas and figure stuff out and get things up on their feet. And we're going to have two stages in a few months. And that's going to be great because the amount of stage time that's going to offer us is going to allow us even more time to do experimental stuff, you know, which I'm really excited about. <laughs>
1: yeah, definitely. One of the other things that I think is really cool is that, you know, we've, we've had a couple conversations about looking around the city and looking at what else is going on. And something else that's really great, I had this in my improv classes and then in the community was if you're not ready to audition for a house team, which are the teams that that Fit basically takes care of and Mm -hmm. you have rehearsals and you have rehearsal space and you're provided with a director and you get to perform almost weekly. If you're not ready for that yet or you don't make a house team or you're still at a 101 or 201 level, to just make a team with your friends or do a duo with your friends or start a sketch team with your friends and then... Now there are shows across the city to go perform and go try that.
0: And that's really interesting because it's gone through cycles. There was a period of time where there were lots of shows all over the place, and then we got some space, and we said, hey, we don't have to do all these shows in bars. And people were like, yes, we want to do the shows in the theater. (laughs) And so we had a week a month, and then it filled up. And then that was full, and we had to start telling people, oh, no, we can't really give you any space. And then, again, there were shows at bars all over the place. So then we got two weeks a month at a theater, and everything kind of contracted back in (laughs) and so there's there's these weird it's almost like a sine wave or something you know now we're gonna get a second stage probably a lot of the bar prov is gonna come in in some fashion and if you wait another 18 months it'll be back out everywhere and each time by the way that this has happened when you come out the other end of that contraction the things going on outside of there are bigger Mm -hmm. you know so if you go back to 10 years ago Everything was down in Center City, and everybody was trying to do it in, like, three or four bars. Then you go to five years ago. Now it's spread out. There's stuff in West Philly. There's stuff in Center City. There's stuff down around South Street. Now you go to now? I'm getting invites to, like, comedy nights in the suburbs on the main line.
1: (laughs) They moved back in the city. (laughs) I'm getting
0: invites to stuff in Fishtown, in Fairmount, in Northern Liberties, in Point Breeze, in all the different parts of South Philadelphia, a couple different spots in West Philly, you know, things on college campuses, things, things at weird hours. Like I got an invite to a comedy show at Drexel at midnight, <laughs> you know, which like there's a market for that now. And I'm not going to say it's all us because it isn't. But part of the reason this has grown so much is because of the community we've created and the fact that people are able to come to the theater connect with a like-minded group of people, find folks who share their sensibilities and their goals and their um, desires to do certain kinds of comedic work, and then go off and create with them. And sometimes we can support that, but also when we don't, we're very clear in telling people, like, I don't want to be a gatekeeper for comedy in the city of Philadelphia. That's just not a role I desire. And I don't know what's funny. I mean, I know what's funny to me, but just because I don't think something's funny, it doesn't mean that a huge crowd of people aren't going to disagree with me. And that's something that I really try to tell people. When we pass on an idea, we will always say, like, you know, we're passing on this, but there's no reason you shouldn't go do it if you believe it's good. Um, because if you believe something's good, it will it will find an audience, you know?
1: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Um, and I think that's the gatekeeper thing is something that Adam and I come across a lot. Just speaking of events and meetups and things like that around the hall, because we have about 300 members, which is definitely less amazing. P- it's it's amazing, but it's definitely less people to hear from on the regular. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get ideas where it's something that maybe wouldn't be a good fit for Indy Hall or isn't really about our members or our community. It's more about the space, which is something that, uh, I feel like we have this conversation a lot of, well, you know, we want to put a community first. We're not space rental, that sort of thing. Right. Um, and sometimes it does feel like being a gatekeeper, but more often it's how would this work for our community and how would this work for the people that work here currently, not Mm -hmm. your group of friends and indie hall members can come to. Um, so that's, something I haven't really thought about in terms of improv or comedy in general mm-hmm. and I think we fluctuate too with meetups and things like that we had a very long dead period of the winter of just not a lot of things happening and then something happens and everyone's very very excited about it and then yeah. you realize that maybe there isn't an on-ramp for people to realize oh I could do a smoothie day too or I could do yeah. p- you know a trip to go to a show or something, too.
0: Well, a great example from our experience was as we grew and started to have more people helping and started to have an expectation that you know we needed to help market shows, we needed to have a large number of moving parts well organized, we started finding that uh, something that had always been really nice for us, which was having new independent groups do their first show at the theater. And it was nice because it gave them a real connection to us, it was supportive, it brought in an audience... That was, that was stopping. And what we discovered is it was because people would contact us and say, we want to do a show. And we'd say, great, we have a date for you in 10 weeks. And people wouldn't want to wait that long, which is great. They're, they're excited. They're enthusiastic. <laughs> they've got a group of people together. They want to do a show now. And we had to sit down and think about that. And our response was to create a show called Wild Card, which was booked on um, a shorter scale for shorter sets. That was the original idea. And also included the opportunity to come to the show and pitch an act for the show in the time between the house opening and the show beginning. So there were slips of paper on the stage, and you could write down the names of the people who were in your act, the title of your act, and a one-sentence description of what your act was. Um, And this led to weird shows like uh, Hot Shots, which was
1: oh, a show
0: where every time a comedian delivered a line, they then had to do a shot of hot sauce. And there was a group of guys who came to the theater with no expectation that this show was going to be picked, but with bags full of hot sauce that they had bought. And then it was chosen, and you know there was 15 minutes of that. And was it insane? Yeah, absolutely.
1: Especially if you saw them afterwards. Yeah, yeah. And,
0: and the people, the, the guys who did the show afterwards were horribly sick. Um, but it was great, and it was, it was a crazy idea. To me, the idea of that show was I wanted to create a show that you could go to happy hour with a group of comedians, have some crazy idea, walk up the street, and then have it on stage You know, 90 minutes later. And um, that solved a problem that we had created. So you know, a lot of it is about looking at what your members are doing, <laughs> what they want, and, and figuring out how to cater to that in a way that works for you.
1: And something else, because we're, we're running up on time, I just wanted to touch on was growth, which is something that we've talked about because Indie Hall grew very fast. We've had to go through a couple of spaces. The current location we're in started just upstairs, then had to cut a hole in the floor to move downstairs because there was a wait list for membership. Uh, and now yeah. we still have people coming in going, well, is it ever full? Is there ever nowhere to sit? Yeah. And luckily right now we're, we're okay on that. Yeah. But how has... Growing very fast over 10 years and having to scale. Oh my God. Bin for comedy.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's really tough, right? So we got this great opportunity to go into a stage two years ago and we thought, all right, great. And then that was basically full. And we thought it was going to be a few years, probably five, before we looked for more stage space. Nope. It was 18 months. <laughs> um, and, you know, by the time we. We open now, uh, downstairs will be a little under two and a half years. And so we'll have two stages running. And the thing I have to tell people is, you know, look, we're not going to have four stages in 24 months. (laughs) Although we probably could, you know. Um, And so what we're looking at now is going into the digital realm. Because there's an unlimited amount of stage time on YouTube and on podcasts. So that's the next steps that we're going to take. But managing that growth is really hard, and in fact, there are times where I'd argue that we've grown too quickly, and keeping up has been a real challenge. I mean, there are times in the life of the theater where I've been working, you know, 80, sometimes 100 hours a week, and um, there are still times where I wake up, and the first thing I do is look at my phone, and then I'm answering an email, and all of a sudden, two hours have gone by, and I haven't gotten out of bed, I've just been sending (laughs) emails on my phone, and it's out of battery, you know, so that's the way my day starts on a regular basis. And then a lot of times my day ends with shows are over, the house manager's leaving, and they turn the lights in the office off, and I go, hey, wait, I'm still here. <laughs> and then Courtney Painter, who's one of our house managers, will frequently yell at me and go, Greg, go home. <laughs> you know, but that's that's the product of the growth. And so so managing it and keeping people happy and staying on top of the things you have to do is hard. Because the other thing they don't tell you about growth is... Going from, say, 50 performers to 100 performers is not a doubling of the amount of work or management you need to do. It's an exponential increase because if you have 50 members and you add a 51st member, you have one more person to deal with, but you have 50 more relationships to deal with. And when you add that 52nd member, it's not that you added two members, it's that you added 101 relationships. And especially in a creative enterprise where a lot of what we do is trying to get people to connect and then manage the things that come out of that, that's really exponential. And that's what makes the growth so challenging.
1: I think something that you've done well, and I know Adam and I definitely try to do, and sometimes works, sometimes doesn't, is you also have uh, people to connect with newer students, newer members. Um, and some of that is just from the personality types that come to improv because improv is a team sport basically, you know? Um, it's not for those lone wolves. It's usually for people that like supporting each other and like watching other people succeed. Um, but you also have things like the buddy system in classes where you can, if you're a company member, which means you do things with the theater, You can be a buddy for a class, which means you take the class, which is nice.
0: You get the class for free, yeah, which is nice.
1: Um, But you're also just there to sort of be an ambassador for the theater, but mostly (laughs) just to connect with those students and be that person of, hey, I want to go see a show on Saturday. When should I go? What should I see? Being that person that knows that. Or we'll go with you.
0: And and buddies sort of just grew out of people wanting to take classes for free and us needing to (laughs) limit the number of people we offered that to. So we kind of said, okay, well, like, if you're, you know, a regular performer at the theater company member, then we'll let you do that. And we were doing it also sometimes to help fill out classes. And then what it's morphed into, which is much better, is that the buddy serves as a kind of social organizer for the class. They're also a go-to student if the instructor needs to demonstrate something and needs to have someone who they know will do it right because they're talented and skilled and we've already vetted them as a good performer. And they're there to support students who are struggling a little, step out with them. They're there to uh, do the scenes with the student who's uh, difficult that the other students don't necessarily want to do <laughs> scenes with sometimes, although that less and less is an issue as the curriculum's improved. And I think we're going to be having the buddies do even more going forward because we really have realized what a valuable resource they are. Yeah. yeah. Everybody should find a way to implement some version of a buddy system, like in any business, you know. Because the Buddies are also mentors through the the paths we have for people to do different things at the theater, whether it's sketch, whether it's uh, improv, whether it's uh, pitching a variety show. And I think that as time goes on, the Buddies will be a more important part of what the theater does in the training center.
1: And I think we definitely have that here. We have a couple of members that will jump to give someone a tour if Adam and I are, say, recording a podcast, yeah. Hidden Away, um, or we know can we can always rely on to be the person to text us if there's a leak or something like that. And yeah. uh, it's definitely the same game of we see someone new, we n- maybe notice they're not connecting so much, and then they have a conversation with, you know, this person. And we're like, oh, this is going to be fine. This, this is going to be no great. Problem. They're going to yeah. be taken care of. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's, that's a very interesting thing to be able to kind of spread that just friendliness. I don't think there needs to be a lot more than that. No. Um, just... Throughout, so that it does, like not everybody has to be friends with you, Greg.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's great. I really, I really enjoy that part of the theater. Uh, that there are so many other people around. Because there was a time where I did know every single person, and then there was a time where I started not knowing people at all, and I felt very guilty about it for a while mm-hmm. because I was so used to the earlier time in the theater's growth when I could recognize every student, every performer, and um, you know now I don't feel as bad. I won't say I don't (laughs) feel bad at all, but I don't feel as bad the first two weeks of a new session of volunteers helping out in the evening, uh, where I am constantly asking, you know, 20 different people, what's your name again? Uh, And the reason I don't feel as bad about that is because they've gone to a training where they all met each other. They met all the staff that actually run the theater, the techs, the house managers, and those people all know who they are and are being nice to them. (laughs) So, you know, the fact that I'm trying but not succeeding isn't actually a knock against me there are other people who are supporting those those folks in the community
1: great so thank you for coming to talk to us yeah absolutely this this is good fun yeah as my dad would uh, say and i'm excited because i know we're going to be talking at pause and moving forward from this topic to some more just just a different direction um and so i'm really happy to have a little bit of basis for what and Indy Hall's relationship is, as well as co-working to improv. Yeah, I
0: think it's going to be really interesting the conversation that we have uh, in a few weeks as part of the summit. And uh, I will be adopting all the puppies that you have
1: because <laughs> it's Paws. Paws is a uh, Philadelphia Animal w- Welfare Society, I think, is the the acronym. This is a t-
0: uh, I'm, I'm speaking at a dog auction, right? Yes. Yeah. That was my understanding. Um,
1: they, they actually mostly have cats to my dismay oh, because filthy, there is a pause nearby and I, animals. I don't want to talk to cats. No. Um, <laughs> uh, I'll still I, come. Well, I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. <Greg. laughs> yeah? Good? <Okay. laughs> I'll be adopting all the puppies.
2: So when Greg and I had coffee a few months ago to talk about the story of how Philly Improv Theater came to be, I had no idea how much it had in common with the story that Indy Hall has of how it came to be and so many other of the most successful co-working spaces in the world that I've been able to observe. What I didn't know going into this episode was how much of that Greg really understood. And one of my biggest takeaways was how Greg was thinking about the addition of one new member to the community and how it's a multiplier effect, how it's an exponential component of the number of relationships that are available in that community. If that didn't blow your mind, I don't know what will. That kind of understanding of where the value in your community comes from is exactly why this kind of lateral learning, the understanding of how people who do things that are like what we do but not the same is so, so valuable. So if you want more lateral learning like this, you want to learn more from Greg and people like him, join us, please join us at the People at Work Summit on April 21st. You can go to the peopleatworksummit.com. Once again, that's peopleatworksummit.com, not the Worksummit.com. I got to get that straight one of these days, but go to peopleatworksummit.com and Check it out. Grab your tickets right now. They are under $100 to start. And the best part about it is when you join as a founding member of the People at Work Summit, you're going to witness firsthand how we build a community. That's yet one other layer to learn from. We're applying all of our community building expertise to make sure that this is not just a group of people in a chat room observing a bunch of live streams. This is the beginning of a brand new community of people who are studying the understanding of how people work together why people work together and how we can apply it to the future of work so get your ticket now people at worksomit.com is the place to go thanks once again to greg mon for joining us for this interview sam for leading this interview and i hope you're enjoying these interviews as much as i am we've got a whole lot more where that comes from so we hope that you'll subscribe to the show check out the next episode that comes out next week it's going to be a doozy and i will see you then